This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. How is sexual immorality idolatry? Because you place sex at such a high priority over and above God. You worship it. You think you can't live without it and you think there's no life if you're not experiencing it, which means it has become your God. You serve it, you obey it over and above every other thing. And that's when it becomes an idol. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to the program. We're about to hear the rest of a message from Pastor Jeff about sexuality, identity, and Jesus. His big question for this message, is there a biblical sexual ethic? And yes, there is some language and themes in today's message, as you may have guessed, that is not suitable for younger listeners, so be cautious of that. Let's hear the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Here's something that seldom gets discussed. The word translated sexual immorality all through the Bible is the word, or all through the New Testament is porneia. It has its Old Testament cousin, but in the New Testament, when Jesus uses the term sexual immorality, and he does, and Paul uses, and John in the book of Revelation, it's the word porneia. Now, what does porneia mean? Is it incest? Follow me carefully now, very carefully. Is sexual immorality incest? The Bible is clear that incest is sinful, but two people engaging in incest can be consensual. So if two people are doing something consensual, does that make it right? Is that a good argument? Is it adultery? Again, there's no lack of clarity in the Bible, but what if two people are consenting? Does that make it right? You see the weakness in that argument? Is it homosexuality? Again, the Bible is clear that any sex, any sex, so stop just picking on those who are struggling with same-sex attractions, any sex outside of marriage, any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman violates God's original design and purpose for sex. Now notice, in incest, adultery, and homosexuality, in all these cases, consenting can take place. Does two people consenting to do the wrong thing make it the right thing? Of course not. Is that porneia? So what is porneia then? The answer is not difficult. Pornea is the violation of design and purpose of sex. It's the violation of chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. So that sex outside the design and purpose and parameters of God's will, that's sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against the body. Now you know what that means, don't you? You're sinning against your design. Your body's not designed to function this way. And if you do, you get outside those parameters the contamination of emotions, psychological, spiritual impacts because it's not designed to operate or function this way. Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. How is sexual immorality idolatry? Because you place sex at such a high priority over and above God. You worship it. You think you can't live without it and you think there's no life if you're not experiencing it, which means it has become your God. You're possessed with it. You serve it. You obey it. You're after it. Over and above every other thing. And that's when it becomes an idol. 
So what does this mean practically? Well, it means if you cheat on your husband or wife, you've committed sexual immorality. If you sleep with a woman you're not married to, you committed sexual immorality. If you look at a woman lustfully, if you view pornography, you have violated the seventh commandment and have committed sexual immorality. You've sinned against God, you violated design, you've sinned against your own body, you've opened the door for emotional, psychological, even physical disintegration. And we've all done it, one or more. See, that's, that is the LBGTQ's complaint against the Christian. You're doing these other things that are sexually immoral, but you're only highlighting us. Why? They've got a point. Sexual purity is chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. Sexual sin is sexual sin. The good news is, can you be forgiven? Of course you can. Can you be restored? Absolutely. Should you continue in this? Absolutely not. Paul says, Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we longer, any longer live in it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then verse five, for if we have been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like this or like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So here's what the Bible tells you. Will desires enter you whereby you want to sleep with someone other than your spouse? Oh, yeah. As a single man or woman, will the desire for an act of intimacy with someone you're dating but not yet married to suddenly come upon you? Oh, yeah. Will the desire to look at pornography sometimes overwhelm you? Yep. Will the desire to test the waters of intimacy and sex with someone of the same sex fill your heart and mind? Yeah. Maybe not all, but there are some. Yes, you will be tempted because you've been tainted. But the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin as a Christ follower, no matter what that sin is. The Bible teaches you that we all have good desires and bad desires. Listen now. And the moral value of any desire is determined by whether its end transgresses or conforms to God's standard. And then there's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Now we're in scripture, so you need to stay focused. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Now, does anybody want to do this? Whoa, 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 wait. Wait a minute. You've never been greedy? You've never been a drunkard. You've never been a slanderer. You've never been a thief. You've never been a swindler. Sexual immorality is only one thing listed in that group. And we're told that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. This is what I have been trying to say for the last three years. The will. The will. There is a difference between failing and succumbing to temptation repenting and getting back up once you've been knocked down. And it might be hundreds of times. There's a difference between that and an unbroken life pattern that exhibits these kinds of things that is not repentant, that is no shame, that resigns itself to its desires without a fight. 
Those are two different things. But Jeff, these desires are so strong. I know. Please don't tell me I don't understand because I'm a pastor. Please don't tell me that I haven't had some of these desires. Please don't tell me that I don't understand what it is to have temptations. You've got to be kidding me. Do you think you're the only one that has strong desires? Yes, Jeff, but sex is the ultimate desire. No, it's not. It is in this generation because it's become an idol. But it's not the ultimate desire. Love, acceptance, value. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Our temptations are real, I know that. And they're real for everyone because we're all tainted by sin. This is the point I've been trying to make. We're all sinners. We're all tainted. We all have desires that are not holy and pure. And it doesn't matter how you feel. Well, it matters when we relate to each other, but... There's an objective word of God that you've got to take your feelings by the scruff of the neck and drag them to what you know is true because they give life. It breaks my heart when I meet a a parent like I did not too long ago who all of her life understood the scripture to teach that sex between two women is not God's original design. And yet her daughter comes out as a lesbian and suddenly she's changed her mind. And here's her reasoning. That's cruel that my daughter would not be able to have sex. Wait a minute. Do you know how many people in the human experience? What about somebody who's single? I tell you, they want to have sex, but to live under the authority of law of God means you say no. You think think you're the only one that can't have sex? We have all, everybody in this room, man, we have strong desires, but our desires and attractions do not define us. We're created in the image of God. But we've been tainted by a fallen world. So any desire that we have must come under the authority of God's word, a word that is motivated by his love and designed for human flourishing. Can I tell you the real issue and then end by telling you three quick misconceptions? Here's the real problem in my life and yours. Through this series, I've started to look differently, completely different at Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know what our real problem is? We don't like the fact that living a Christian life is difficult. We want it to be much easier. And we fail to remember that from day one, Jesus said, you're going to be in the fight of your life. Remember what John Owen said? If you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. It is a day after day battle. All of us. But just for a moment, in way of ending, I want want you to understand there are a few misconceptions concerning same-sex attraction or any other sexual sin. Here's misconception one, and yes, I'm sure. People say gay people are born that way. I have read thousands of pages over my lifetime. Hundreds of studies have been performed, and there's never been any real conclusion drawn. 
The American Psychiatric Association says some people believe that sexual orientation is innate and fixed. However, sexual orientation develops across a person's lifetime. So scientists are far from discovering the factors that contribute to the development of same-sex attractions. So it's untenable and irresponsible to claim or to tell anyone that innateness of sexual attraction is a proven reality. It is not. However, however, just because I have a propensity towards something doesn't make it right. The verdict is in. I'm a sinner and I have a propensity to do it often. The verdict is in of my life. I am a sinner and I have a propensity towards sin. I often do the thing I don't want to do. I have a bent toward the wrong thing. My mentor told me about five years ago, your affections in this world and your desires in your innermost being have very little to do with the reality of other options that stir in your heart and soul. I want to do the good. That doesn't take away whatever it is in my flesh that doesn't want to. I am tempted to do things that are sinful. How about you? It's uncanny, isn't it? You don't think people should take revenge, but you do it. You don't think you should gossip, but you do it. You don't think you should slander, but if tearing somebody else down helps you feel better about yourself, you'll bear a little false witness. But think about how illogical and unproductive this line of thinking really is, that if we desire something or have a bent toward it, it must be morally acceptable. To say that if you have a bent towards something, that it's morally right, there are many factors that play a role in a person's sin disposition. You struggle with things that I might not. I struggle with things you don't. But the overarching truth of Scripture is we've been created in the image of God. We've been tainted by sin in the fall. we got to be born again. Whatever it is, you need to be born again. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. So when I cry out about this stuff, it's not because I want to show you that you're bad and I'm good. That's insane. It's to show you that together we got to put our arms around each other and say there's a better way to live and we trust Jesus. And if we live this way and fight this good fight, we'll flourish. Here's the second thing. This is a hard one, so let me phrase it a different way. Your feelings and your disposition do not determine objective morality. Okay, so if something is wrong, it's wrong no matter how it got there. Let, let me use an example that I've used often, but during the Nuremberg trials, and I'm, I'm not saying that, look, I'm not saying that sexual attractions are as bad as the atrocities committed against the Jews. I'm not trying to play a, a A and B game. I'm just simply showing you the logic of something. So the logic at the Nuremberg trials by the generals of the Third Reich, when they were presented with all the atrocities they committed, do you know what their justification was? Our society made us this way. We were trained to hate Jews. We were trained to, to kill them. So basically, the, their defense was, you can't hold us responsible for all these atrocities we've committed because my environment raised me this way. You can't hold me accountable because my life circumstances have produced all of these things and gave me my natural bent, my natural bent to eliminate or exterminate the Jews. That was their defense. Now, while it's true that the factors should play a role in the manner we deal with each other and relate to each other and love people, the reality is that does not negate sin or sinful activity that leads to death. If we love others, we'll come alongside them, bear their burdens, and hold each other accountable. It's not one, it's both. We hold each other accountable. But 
When you come to the decision that society, that you can't hold anybody accountable for any wrongdoing because of their upbringing, do you not realize that there are people who have this catalytic thing happening in them because of their background to steal what doesn't belong to them, to kill certain people, to treat the environment a certain way, to torture animals, to rape and pillage people of different tribes, to annihilate Jews, to slaughter Tutsis, or devalue and denigrate women, or to discriminate. All of those are social things that happen to us because of the generation in which we're born. But they're still wrong. And when it comes to sex, you have two options, chastity and singleness, faithfulness and marriage, all based on creation and design. And to go outside of that violates God's purpose, design, and will for your life. The people who struggle with these things are real folks. And that's, that's my fear of preaching a sermon like this, that somehow we will talk about theory and abstractions, but forget that the, the, the temptations and the things that people experience, they're real people. This is a a note that came this week that broke my heart. Now, it's not a note to me. It was posted somewhere, and I've got, I've got to be very careful here. But this is written by a person that I know, both of whom I love, and this is what she posted. Today felt like a beautiful spring day, and it made me think of new beginnings. It's been on my mind to share a new beginning of my own. Sue and I, Sue's not the real name. I've changed the names. Sue and I have decided to pursue a relationship of more than just friends. This is written by a woman. We've known we've had feelings for each other for a long time. However, like most of my Christian friends, we believed it was a sin and knew it couldn't be. That has changed recently, and we both no longer believe being in a loving, committed relationship with each other will keep us from God. We actually felt closer to God through this. So, Subjective feelings are determining truth. You hear that? We feel it's okay. It must be okay. I know we may lose some friends over this, and while that saddens me, I won't hold it against anyone if they decide it's best to no longer be a friend. And for the true Christ follower, there's no way. You're still going to be our friend. We're not going to abandon you. If we did that, we'd abandon everybody. She says, I know we may lose some friends over this, and while that saddens me, I won't hold it against anyone. Then she says, we are currently searching for our next church home, an affirming church. If anyone has any recommendations, let us know. We want to have a place to worship God and be accepted for how God made us. Well, the answer to that is, God created you in his image, but you have a fallen sin nature. We truly believe he has brought us together and are excited for our future together. The reason this saddens me is because I love both these people. I love them. And so there's a part of me that wants to, and I don't do it, but there's a part of me that wants to respond, it's not God, it's not God tempting you. Please don't, please don't blame this on God. It's not how God made you. And she says, I can assure you we still love Jesus and are doing our best to follow him. No, you're not. If you were, you would not be ruled by emotions. You would go to the scripture and you would read it and dig into it and discover his truth. This decision was not made lightly. We prayed, read, researched, and asked God to make it clear if we had it wrong, but he's not done that. Do you know how many times I've heard that argument? Do you understand that in Christ, 
we can overcome the desires of our flesh. And there's a part of me that, you know, I, I, yeah, I wish you could get inside my head and know the way I feel because my heart is broken. This is not, this is going to destroy two people that I love. It's going to give you what I call sacrificing your future for the pleasure of the present. It may seem right, but down the road, but it's too late. With the calling of God comes the supernatural power of God to give us our ultimate victories over sin and death. And Christians themselves are not immune to temptation. One more passage. Hebrews 4, 15, for, if, for, we, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, what's the need? See, we always use that passage. Well, if I'm hungry, I'll go and pray God. No, when you're struggling with temptation because Jesus understands what that's like, go with boldness to the throne and ask God for mercy and grace. Let's finish it with the good news of the gospel. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what temptations, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, it doesn't matter. You are one decision away in humility from kneeling at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me. And he says, okay. But it's not only that. It's not only he says, okay. He places his spirit in you to give you the power in the future to overcome. Now, it doesn't happen overnight because there's a lot you still got to learn. But as the word of God, as you understand the word of God, it fires with the spirit of God to give you the right word at the right time and the victory. The problem is we don't know the Bible. We read books about the Bible, but we don't actually know what the Bible says. So when we want to do something we want to do, we look for some scripture out of the blue that will help affirm or convince us that what we're doing is right, but we don't know the context of Scripture, which is why things have got to change, including with me first. I've got to teach you the Scripture, and it will become an anchor for you so that you will drag whatever you feel in your emotions to what you know to be objectively true. But in the meantime, please have passion and compassion for those who are struggling. Love them. Put your arm around them. And tell them, I too am a rotten sinner. I too have temptations. I too do things I shouldn't do. But I, we're in this together because God's grace is wider and deeper, more exhausted than you could ever understand. And his love for you is deeper and wider, more powerful than you could ever know. And because he loves you so much, he looks at you and says, I know you struggle with that. I got you. I got you. But my grace is sufficient. I'm going to forgive you, and together we're going to go on this journey. The only unforgivable sin is when you stop fighting and you say the Spirit of God is not real and cannot give you the power over time to overcome. You've got to fight. We're in the battle for our lives. It's about eternity, heaven, and hell. We've got to win, and we can because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father God, thank you for the power of your word. I pray again that anything I've said that is inconsistent with your word would fall by the wayside, whatever has been taught or said that represents the objective word, your truth, that it would go deep into the heart and would change our lives. It would change the way that we look at each other and help each other and to bear each other's burdens and to stop shooting our wounded, but to come alongside and say, we're in this battle together. Let's fight. Let's get in the trenches and let's win this battle and win 
we are discouraged to remember that he was also tempted in all ways like us and that for the joy set before him of the cross or the joy set before him in eternity with God, whether he endured the cross, we too can endure the crosses we've been called to bear knowing that one day the greatest love, the greatest relationship, the greatest joy is experienced in eternity with you in the ultimate relationship, the one for which we're all looking for. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.